to get the crime writers on after show right now go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media i'm rebecca lavoy and this is crime writers on Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a grieving, heavily drinking woman witnesses a murder in her neighborhood. Was it a brutal crime or a hallucination? We'll review the Netflix comedy, The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I was supposed to take today off. You were? Yeah, it's President's Day, and I am president of Partners in Crime Media. What, since when? Since I was the first one to claim the title. You're not on the paperwork. We're a sole proprietorship, and guess who the sole proprietor is? It ain't you. Oh, all right. Well, then I guess you can take the day off, Madam President. (laughs) All right, then I will. I'm going to take that day off. (laughs) Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right, Kevin, before we get started with our review on this episode, what are we talking about on Thursday's episode of Crime Writers On? Thursday, we're going to be talking about the Netflix docuseries, Inventing Anna. You're calling it a docu-series? It's yeah, scripted. Well, that's docu. No, is it? Series. Docu-series is when it's a documentary, but it's a series. Oh, I would well, say docu-drama? it's a docudrama. Docu- docudrama. Docudrama. Okay, we'll go docudrama. Yeah. Yes. The nine part. Nine part. The 90 part. <laughs> yeah. Docu. Five thousand. 45 part. hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Inventing Anna starring. The wonderful yes. Julia Garner. Yes. Meanwhile, Kevin gets pissed when I tip my hat on Twitter how I feel about things before the show comes out. Hold on, guys. <laughs> it is, in fact, uh, only a two-part uh, show, right? It's only two parts. It goes by really quickly. No, I'm just kidding. It's nine parts. All right. I think it's time we should just get started with this episode's review. Should we do that, Kevin? Let's do that. Let's fire that first clip. My husband used to tell me that I have an overactive imagination that I drink too much, that I can't let go of the past, that I make plans and cancel them, that I never wear a jacket but then complain that I'm cold, that sometimes I speak with a British accent even though I'm not British. Anna is drowning the loss of her daughter and the end of her marriage in bottles and bottles of red wine. She's taken by the kindness of the handsome widower and his daughter who've moved in across the street. Then one night, Anna peers across the way to see the man's girlfriend get her throat slashed. What? Your neighbor was very confused when we showed up to his door telling him there had been a report of a murder in his home. What, what, what are you saying? What, where is she? On an airplane. Police say the girlfriend is safe in Seattle. Anna sets off to confirm she's not crazy, prove a murder happened, and discover who the killer in her quiet neighborhood actually is. To get to the bottom of something, sometimes you have to remind yourself that if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. And the biggest risk you can take is to risk nothing. 
And if you risk nothing, what you're really doing is risking not getting to the bottom of something. And if you don't get to the bottom of something, you risk everything. Kristen Bell stars in the mystery spoof, The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. The Netflix series is a dry but cutting satire on domestic thrillers and cozy mysteries. Will Anna solve the case? One chicken casserole and bottle of Cabernet at a time? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. So Toby, I was expecting this to be a satire that was like over the top airplane joke after joke after joke after joke. I was very surprised that it was not that. Were you surprised that it was not that? Yes. And I was worried that it was going to be like that. I think I said to you guys that I'd watched it and it wasn't that bad. And I think that was what I was reacting to was that it was not as zany and horrible as I was fearing it was going to be. I mean, it's not exactly subtle, but it's not just ridiculous thing after ridiculous thing after ridiculous thing, which made it for me at least bearable to watch. But then there are also times when it's like, I don't feel like I've laughed in quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, Laura, you had the same thought, right? Because you thought it was going to be like punchline after punchline after punchline too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you have the title, which, you know, hints that this is going to be absurd, like the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. You're like, okay, this is going to be like done, disappeared. Like, where's Clara? Like, I'm like gearing (laughs) up for something that's going to be a parody of the girl in the window. And there's funny moments but it's it's subtle and i feel like it should have either leaned into it or not leaned into it but it was sort of on the fence and it could have been a lot funnier you know there were funny parts i mean we have the giant glasses of wine where she's like glug 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 and there's like an entire bottle of wine one little glass we have these ridiculous paintings that she's painting and was like oh she's so talented i'm like it's a freaking flower <laughs> she's a genius Oh, I'm like, oh, my God. But then you have moments where you're like, well, actually, it's kind of sad. So I felt like it couldn't really decide on its identity. And if it had just like taken that leap and been like, hey, we're going to be a parody. We're going to be a satire. We're going to be like, who drew the dicks? Yep. I think that it would have been um, more successful. But Kevin, you think that this thing is self-aware in that way, right? Yeah. I mean, you can tell right away by the title, where they think it's going creatively. And how often do we say, oh, right off the title, we know what this is aiming for and that it's going to be dry and crazy. And it's kind of like having a studio when you name it, you know, the studio. The yoga loft above the, yoga the bodega. The yoga loft above the bodega. And, yeah, Bay St. Louis yeah, you know, something Which, by the so way, we didn't crazy. name our listener did, but yes. Actually, I named that because uh, I, I'm responsible for suggesting <laughs> that name <laughs> because we wanted it to be long and ironic and sort of a wink. But yeah, I do think that it's self-aware as far as like this being a parody and wanting to send up the you know domestic thrillers and the, as they refer to, the woman slash girl books. I swear there was a time if you put girl in the title that it would be a bestseller. It was like the girl who witnessed World War II, you know, and it's the number one history book in the world. But I think we're certainly ripe and ready for parody of all those tropes because they've become cliched within the past 15 years. And so you can do the thing a lot of these are doing where they're already ripping off Hitchcock's rear window. 
there's, you know, the unreliable narrator. So you mix all that together with some red wine and you've got the basis for uh, a good show. It does help that you are completely in love with Kristen Bell and have been for many, many years, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Ever yeah. since Veronica Mars. Ever since Veronica Mars. Yes. She's she's your lady. She's definitely 100% your lady. You were going to say the free pass list, right? I don't think she's on your... You've never put her on your free pass list, but you do love her. I do love we her. We all love Kristen Now, she Bell. does not want to be on my No one free wants pass to be on anyone's free pass <laughs> list, because that but is a non-consensual list. I'm sure she would be flattered. <laughs> no. She would be flattered. Nope. Don't think anyone she is would. ever flattered to be on anyone's free pass list. That is not actually a thing. Uh, uh, Laura Bricker, do you think Kristen Bell was better cast in this than Amy Adams was in that horrible uh, woman in the window <laughs> movie? It was just girl in the window that time. Yeah. Woman. In, it was the one woman in the window. Wasn't it? The woman in the window. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I think even though this to me struggled in terms of was it going to be a little bit more comical? Was it going to be more serious? I just loved her in this. I just found her relatable, entertaining, uh, witty. Just somebody that I enjoyed watching. And I felt like even though perhaps the directors and the writers didn't necessarily know um, how far they wanted to go one way or the other, I think that she like came to the role and gave it her best. And I think that the Amy Adams person and that other one was just so freaking horrible <laughs> that I don't want to say Wait, there was Did you call a, her that Amy Adams person? Amy Adams is a good actress. Just that's a terrible... <laughs> No, move. she is, but that that led that woman in the yeah. window thing was horrible. So I, you know, I I, I think that uh, Kristen Bell was much better in this, and when she had the opportunity to be funny, she was very funny, and she was like her timing was good, and and her facial expressions, and and her delivery, and everything like that. Toby, there are a couple of uh, running jokes in this that when things started, I was like, this isn't going to work. There's no fucking way this can work. The first one, which they show immediately, and I knew it was going to happen, it was an anvil, was that she has a dead kid. Like, the daughter is there. She's at the school with her bathrobe. I'm like, oh, she definitely has a dead kid. The kid's in the room, and then the daughter's just like, I can't come because I'm dead. And I'm like, okay, there's just no way. There's no way they can do anything with this dead kid storyline that is anything but sad. There's just no fucking way (laughs) that they can make this funny and then in any way. And then comes the <laughs> take your daughter to work day story about how the daughter died. And Elizabeth was so excited to be going with her dad. A forensic psychiatrist for the FBI specializing in serial killers. Toby, what did you think of that turn? Did you think that was funny? Yeah, I thought that was one of the funniest parts of it, <laughs> <Me> actually. <too. laughs> and just to kind of explain, it's uh, take your daughter to work day and her dad, he's one of those guys who study serial killers, I guess, uh, forensic psychologist or whatever. So he takes her to interview some cannibal serial killer. Massacre then, Mike. <laughs> Massacre Mike. And then he gets <laughs> called out of the room for a second to, uh, to consult with something and leaves her in there. And that was and and she that's gets the eaten. end of it. Yeah. She gets eaten. And then there's a lot of like the classic, like, you know, don't blame yourself, you know, it's like for leaving your daughter alone with a serial killer. Right, but a lot um, of it is a lot of it is that she's taking the blame. She's blaming herself. Yeah. When she didn't do anything. No. Right? Which like if you want to get like and I don't mean to interrupt Toby, I'm sorry, but if you yeah, want to no, get away ahead. from the funny thing and into the sad psychological theme that runs through all of these kinds of books and stuff, it's like it's not really her fault, but she's like 
it's my fault. It's my fault for, for telling you to take your daughter to work. Yes, it's because <laughs> I have ovaries. I should be punished. <laughs> right? And so, right. It's obviously, it's all the, the husband's fault. But she's like, oh, what did I do? No, it's, now I can't go out in the rain. It's so, <laughs> it's so fucking absurd. <laughs> yeah. The daughter got eaten by a serial killer, Massacre yep. Mike. <laughs> Nothing funnier hysterical. than that. <laughs> it's fucking hysterical. How about the polygraph scene with Massacre Mike? <laughs> Every time Mike, no! Do you live at 1346 Abbott Street? Yes. Have you ever killed anyone? No. Have you ever eaten anyone? No. Uh, Laura, did you notice that every time she went to visit her daughter's grave, the um, thing on the gravestone had a different, <laughs> <laughs> different message? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite but one. Yet- My favorite one. There's no I in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so how many corning ware casserole dishes can one person own, A? And B, like obviously the joke there, Laura, is that her cooking specialty is putting cream of mushroom soup and noodles into a bowl and calling it like her specialty right but you put in your notes to me that you actually want that recipe the fuck mm. Laura Bricker well I, I mean hello how many times did we see the chicken casserole I kind of want to know is that it or does she have a different recipe like I feel like that they should be putting this out on social media and telling us what is in that chicken casserole. I will make it. It's on the back of this Campbell soup can, Laura. No, but is that the one she's making? We don't know. Or is she making Magic Mike or Medicine Mike or Murdering Mike's magic chicken casserole? Mike. Magic what Mike. What does he have to do? Massacre I guess Magic Mike. Mike is that other guy. Massacre yeah, we'll Mike talk about that guy in a minute. You don't want Magic Mike eating your daughter. <laughs> I might want Magic Mike's chicken casserole. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do like I do like when the cops uh, come to the house and the casserole is on the counter and the, the cop asks if you have a slice. Do you have a I slice? Or a slice. I thought that was the funniest scene in the entire Who thing. Who slices chicken casserole? Yeah, is that a scoop or is that supposed to be a slice? <laughs> then he has to leave before it's done microwaving. Uh, that sounds it's smells, very suspenseful though, right? Suspenseful. Like. <laughs> I, it was that was like I don't know that was the funniest thing and it was just random and uh, funny. Well, anybody who has ever read any police procedurals knows you are actually supposed to ask for food or accept offered food or drinks when you're interviewing a suspect. Did you know that? No. Why? Because it makes them feel like you are sharing of yourself and they are sharing of themselves with you. It's supposed to put them in a frame of mind where, you know, this whole thing, it's very- It's like a religious act of communion. It's very much an American cop show. Like, I'm not allowed to. I'm on the job. I can't drink your coffee. It's actually not true. If you're like all the British ones I read, they're like, no, you're supposed to take the tea. Take the fucking tea, even if you don't want the tea. They'll eventually say something incriminating. (laughs) There might be a sexy dancer hiding in the pantry. You don't know. Hey, can we do the business section next to the podcast across the way from the, I don't know. How about just a little business section? Yeah, I'm going to start the music. Take care of a few things real quick. Let's do it. On Patreon, you've got uh, this week's Crime Writers on After Show. This week, are you ready for this? Yeah. We're all going to talk about our first grade teacher. <gasps> I don't even remember. Sure. Oh, well, sure. you can make stuff up. Yeah, Rebecca, yeah. Well, you know, they do. Toby's face is like, I don't remember elementary school. Why are we talking about our first grade teachers? Because it's fun to talk about. Yeah, totally. Our most memorable teachers. It had to be first grade. I have a different one. No, I, first grade's good. First grade's good. Why do you always want to like change the thing? It's first grade is fine. I'm first ready. First grade is fine. 
Uh, speaking of marital discourse, Married with Podcast is coming out this week. We had the live taping on video last week. We had listeners come on and answer some questions. Among them, a question about what to do with a dinner invitation from a really bad cook. Yes, a sister, right? Who's really bad cook? Little sister. Yeah. The advice was just grin and bear it. Yeah, don't be yeah, a dick. Yeah, suck it up and eat, man. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst that could happen? That's right. Don't be a jerk about it. Food poisoning? No, come Food on. Poison. It's fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. All right, Kevin. So how do people like get all that stuff? All right, well, they can go to, as it says in the beginning of the show, patreon.com slash partners in crime media also feel free to sign up if you haven't already to the crime writers on newsletter go to crimewriterson.com right at the top just stick your email address in that's all we want it's free we don't want your zip code we don't want your credit card we don't want your mother's maiden name we don't need that just give us your email we'll send you our weekly newsletter it'll be out on thursday plus give us your most commonly used password for all of your accounts that's fine too right oh man no i'm just kidding we don't need that hey if you if you have one password that you need to really protect yeah all of it it should be your email Mm. why ask me why why because if i go in and i have the name of your email address and i go into bank of america and i type in Toby Ball at, you know, I put in Toby Ball's email address. Yeah. What I could do was they'll say, and I'll put in a password, and it'll say, no, that's not the password that gives you access to all of Toby's money. Then I'll just say, I forgot the password. Send it to my email. Send it to my email. Correct. So if I can get into your email, I can get into every, I can guess where you have stuff and just say, oh, I forgot the password. And right. then you're screwed. Yes. And you know what's the but, best way to protect your passwords is? What? Write them down yeah, and don't put them that anywhere else. CIA. That's right. Yeah, and tape it to your computer. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. I feel like everything now it does that duo thing. Yeah. Where I have to like and and it doesn't work the first time, so I always have to say text me again. Yeah. And then I get a second one. Yeah. First anyway, time it's uh, going to whatever. someone else and they're logging into your shit. That's what's happening. Exactly. All yeah. right. Damn Russians. Well, Kevin, does thus end the business section? Yes, thus ends the business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. So, Kevin, were you surprised to see on social media that people did not understand that this was a parody? Yes, I kind of was. There are Because it is so dry, there are people who watched it thinking, despite the title... And despite some of the absurd things that happen, that this is just a bad, serious mystery. Yeah. Right? A straight mystery. Now, part of it is because they do keep a mystery going in here, and some of the times they are playing it straight, and they are trying to keep the mystery part of it going. Because we've seen this, we've seen comedies before that play in the true crime zone, Uh, or the mystery zone, and what they end up doing is making sure that the mystery part is substantial enough to keep that going so it's not just a comedy. You want to know who spray-painted the dicks, right? So they're trying to keep this a mystery. So it's either going to be a comedy that's mysterious or a a funny mystery. It's got to be one or the other. But they do try to find a balance there so that while... You're laughing at the absurdity of what's happening, that you are actually interested in finding out who the killer is. I want to talk about some of the the tropes that, I mean, there's a lot of things in this that I really appreciated that were not necessarily played for heavy laughs, that the more I think about them, like, I think this is more of a thinker than a laugh out loud thing. Okay. And maybe that isn't for everyone, but it was for me. 
Did anyone notice besides me, for instance, how completely not matching the outside of Kristen Bell's character's house was to the inside of Kristen Bell's character's house? Like, no, it did not match in any way. You thought like, that was funny? No, that is just a total trope of stories like this, domestic suspense, where like there is a house, right? And it like looks like a colonial on the outside and then you walk in and then there are like all these rooms that are like, obviously everything's over decorated. Everyone seems to have money without working that like comes from nowhere that no one understands why they have all this money. They have a nice car. They have fancy furniture. They don't seem to ever have to work and everybody's fine. It's the massacre Mike life insurance payout. <laughs> that being said, like... She has this thing where there's just like giant room after giant and then a giant art studio with like a solarium roof. I was more taken with the fact that Buell has been working on the mailbox for yeah. two years. That was very disturbing to me. <laughs> it was? How come, Laura? Well, first I was like, is this like the Truman Show? And like every day she gets up, it's like, good morning, Miss Anna. And he's in the same spot and he like never leaves because he's like a robot. And then I was like, is she dead? Is this like Groundhog Day? Like, I mean, the Buell thing was like a weird storyline to me. But then all of a sudden, oh, no, wait, now he might actually be the person who's responsible for everything because he murdered his whole family. And the only reason he's here now is because her husband who took their daughter to work with him and got her killed. It's like, hey, this guy would be a good guy to like be our handyman. Um, he but was it a was client. Like, yeah, he was a client. Okay. But it was just it was funny to me. I was like, OK, so... It's almost like, is she repeating the same day over and over again? Is this Groundhog Day? Like, what's going on with this guy? Because I never saw him in a different location. Right. Is it a complicated mailbox or is it just beyond Buell? No. It were... might be beyond Buell. Yeah, that's my but, vote. But yeah. Okay, so what that what that is from, it is directly a parody of like, um, what's the thing with Rebecca De Mornay? A Hand That Rocks the Cradle, right? where they're fixing the fucking greenhouse forever for like no reason, right? And it's just like this thing. And ultimately the greenhouse ends up becoming like a murder weapon in the thing. But it is like this. It's like, what the fuck is she doing? She's always out there like working on the fucking greenhouse. That is like a trope where there's like a, a handyman or a thing that's kind of like a shingle. Somebody out there. That's like a Hitchcockian trope. Well, Toby, right? You need a you always need sort of a supporting character who could be the killer. Right. right, kind of a red herring, but you you have to keep the other characters honest. Yeah, you can't even really be an either or thing. You have to throw enough people out there so that you can be kind of pushed and pulled in different directions, you know, if it's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Toby, what was the deal with her um, set design with her chair pointing out the front window? I, the yeah, house? I changed <laughs> around no our living room reason. too, so I could just look at our neighbors all day. <laughs> That's what I do at my office. I have a chair that looks right out the window, just like that. Yeah, it's a choice. <laughs> yeah. I do the you same hope thing. The neighbors don't pull the curtains, I guess. I do the same thing. I'm starting a movie called The Guy Across the Street from the UPS Truck in the Driveway. <laughs> Toby, I know that you were a big fan of Sexy Rexy. He, of course, is the guy who is uh, doing the scams with the girlfriend of the guy across the street who's pretending to be the guy across the street's girlfriend, and they're actually performing scams together. What did you like so much about Sexy Rexy? Um, I'm not sure, Rebecca. <laughs> so the, one of the scenes I liked was uh, they do sort of a Scorsese thing where he's explaining their scam. And in the background, you've got a stone song and then they're kind of, you know, he's explaining it. It's like kind of quick cutting to these different scenes that kind of 
show how the scam worked. And it's like Casino and a bunch of other Scorsese movies where he does the same thing. And, and it's generally the stones in the background playing while you get this kind of fast talking explanation as to how stuff works. She told him I was dying of a rare blood cancer, that there was this experimental treatment that could save my life, but it wasn't covered by insurance. She could make herself cry on cue. I felt like there were scenes that were kind of clever without actually being like super funny. I felt the whole tone of it. I didn't really connect with it so well. Like occasionally something would come up and be like, oh, that's kind of, you know, I can see where that's coming from or I can see where that's coming from. But, you know, is that really enough to like carry a series? I mean, I think that's kind of where I, I came down in the end is like the story itself it's a comedy, so it doesn't have to be as sort of wildly inventive as like if it was serious. And there are some laughs, but I just kind of felt like they were kind of few and far between. I had a hard time connecting with it. And I thought the best parts to me were sort of things that were kind of callbacks or, or tribute slash parodies of something specific. But then again, I was like, yeah, you know, is that is that really enough to make it enjoyable to watch? I couldn't figure it now. Okay. Maybe we shouldn't try to like really figure out like everybody's plan here and no, how let's this, figure it the out. plot let's go works. Ahead. Let's pretend like this is real. Go okay. ahead. Okay. All right. So why does Lisa, Lisa is the uh, the boyfriend, excuse me, the girlfriend. Neil's who, fake girlfriend. Neil's yeah. fake girlfriend. Why does she need Rexy? <laughs> At all. For all the, because all the scams just are, he's sick. Like, why do you need the sexy male dancer to be the one that like, I need money for my friend. It just seemed like an overly complicated way of doing a scam because we need to have a million sex scenes with kirsten bell fucking yeah. somebody in the All middle right, of the fine, show yeah. and we needed to have him and the instagram pictures yes okay something for the ladies i got it i mean laura bricker there was a lot of sex right in the middle of this series there certainly was i was like whoa um i wasn't expecting that to happen in this show Alrighty. righty <laughs> well, it's like a it's... call to all those like shannon tweed movies that were yes. on cinemax yes I don't know what you're talking about. Or, um, yeah, it's like a call to all of those like mid 90s, like uh, suspense movies. There's like a tremendous amount of sex. I also love in every like movie where it shows a woman who does nothing but drink all the time mm. and then she takes off her clothes and she's completely ripped, which is just not <laughs> yeah. the way somebody who drinks all the time looks. Speaking from experience here. Not the way someone who drinks all the time looks by a long shot. Yeah. Kristen's got a six pack. That's another Amy Adams from uh, what, <laughs> Sharp Objects or whatever? Yes, yes. In the uh, meantime, Laura just unscrewed the <laughs> top of her very expensive white wine. <laughs> I'm sure it's very expensive. You can tell because it's got the screw top. <laughs> Actually, it was expensive, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, do I get credit for calling the uh, solution to this mystery right at the beginning of the show? Yes or no? I, I don't. I don't know if you did it right at the beginning, but I halfway through did. it, you definitely. I did. A. Okay, you was, didn't say it out loud. I'll give you credit because it was also the same ending as uh, the woman in the window. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> but also because nobody walks around with a fucking cover on their wagon without a goddamn reason. <laughs> so that being said, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the scene at the end of this movie, where Kristen Bell is engaged in a straight up. Up, long fist fight <laughs> with young Emma, <laughs> played by uh, Samsara Leela Yet, uh, in the climactic scene of the show, and they are battling out in a life or death scene. Now I'm gonna kill you. 
In self-defense, of course. That mean drunk lady across the street tried to kill me. You're fucking crazy. Huh. That's what my teacher said before I pushed her off the lighthouse. Laura Bricker, what do you think about this tremendous violence being shown against a child uh, in the end of the show here? It took a very Stephen King-like turn for me at that point. I was like, okay, this is not how, like, what I'm going to call domestic suburban suspense typically, like, would go for me. This is more like Firestarter, Carrie, the kid's possessed, and um, all of a sudden is like, whatever, the wagon she's carrying around has, like, a dead body part in it that's telling her what to do or something, you know? But it was so freaking ridiculous when it finally happened. I'm like this is absurd. And I'm like, "Mm, doesn't really match the rest of the show, but I guess I'm here for it. I don't know. I really like the visual of an adult beating the shit out of a little kid in that way. Not like generally (laughs) speaking, but in that way. Yeah, don't worry. That's never going to be taken out of context. In that way. It was was very Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It was like in that way. It was absurd. Yeah, it like goes- It's very Chucky. It it, was like Chucky from like child's play. It's more like itchy and scratchy. Yeah. From The Simpsons where- Okay, it's it's violent, but it is hyper inflated so that it moves beyond actual violence into parody. And it's slapstick. Just visually, it was funny that this little girl was going ham on a <laughs> on an adult, beating her up and you know, swinging a knife and like just being able to, you know, overpower <laughs> this little little girl, you know, and like she knocks out her baby teeth. You know, it's like that's the, uh, you know, the, the pounding that, that she takes. I thought it was very funny. I think we end up, even though you've got an adult beating up a kid, you still like Anna because she's defending herself. Yes. It isn't like she's like. She's going to be murdered, Kevin. She's going to be murdered. It isn't like she's. <laughs> we find out that this kid murdered like 18 people. Like she's not really a little kid. She's a murderer. We yeah. watched, we watched a scene where she spent a summer sawing away at the dock, at the bottom of a dock. <laughs> oh, I know that was insane. My summer project, and then it was like boom, boom, boom. Are you a little done. worried I'm someone's like, doing that at your dock, Toby, right now? Like just under there. No. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, Toby. If if you found yourself in that situation and you survived a fight with a serial killer, and you found yourself in the hospital. Would you want everyone in line to come to you and give you the same apology over and over and over again like Anna was able to receive? Uh, sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, again, it didn't hit with me, mm-hmm. but I got where it was coming from. I thought the fight with uh, with the little girl, I mean, it's it's like a takeoff on like all these thrillers in the movies that end with some knockdown drag out fight where you think you beat beaten up the villain and they're unconscious and then they like attack again and stuff is broken and so it was, it was just it was i thought it was a pretty funny send-up of that whole sort of trope you know toby the women that i know most of them would rather be told uh that someone is sorry about the thing that they said to them as opposed to actually solving a crime hmm. that would be oh. the highlight that everybody had to come in and say I'm sorry, I was wrong about you. That would be way more satisfying for most women than just a, by the way, you also solved this crime. Hmm. Really? Really. 
Huh. I mean, that's what happens in all the books, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry yeah. I didn't believe you about all those killings. You were right all what, along. You were right all along. Yeah, and she ends up, you know, back together with her ex, you know, whole thing. And we don't, I don't know what the fuck was happening with the very end of it, but I guess I'll figure out that with, about that in season two, right? If it's, there is a season two, sure. I guess we'll but see. But again, how many of those books and movies sort of, well, the books definitely often end with like what's going to be chapter one of the next book, right? We're going to yep. get it in there. So she could be the woman in the seat on the airplane next to the woman in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know if they haven't yet, should they check out the mystery spoof? The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. It is on Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the series starring Kristen Bell? I'm going to go thumbs sideways, but a little bit thumbs up because there was issues with this. But I'm going to tell you, I sat here on like a Saturday afternoon and I watched the entire thing and it was sort of just like mindless entertainment. And I watched it all. I like Kristen Bell. I was like, oh, there's some funny parts. It's kind of like when you have like Law and Order on in the background or something. It was just, I was like, oh, this is, this is entertaining. It's not great. It's not horrible. You know, there was things that I, I wish it had decided if it was going to be a little more satirical and a little bit more of a parody. But overall, you know what? If you're kind of like uh, hanging around your house on a weekend and you want to have something on that you're kind of half paying attention to, I'm going to give it a mild thumbs up for that purpose. Toby Ball. So you're giving a mild thumbs up because you don't really have to pay attention to it? <laughs> so maybe, maybe my problem is that i was trying to pay too much attention to it yeah i mean this i feel like the discussion of this i was much more sort of positive because we talked about the parts that i liked but i didn't connect with this i thought it went on pretty long there are whole episodes where they would get done i'd be like what was i supposed to get out of that my expectations were pretty low and uh, and I guess it cleared those expectations, but it's still, you know, I, I can't give it a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs down. It's not like a huge thumbs down. It's not a catastrophe, but uh, I had a hard time connecting with it. Kevin Flynn, what is your review, thumbs up or thumbs down, for the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window? I'm going thumbs up, actually. I, this is not knee slapping funny, but there were times that I did laugh very hard. Yeah, it wasn't as sharp and satirical as American Vandal or as sublime as Only Murders in the Building, but I still liked it. I thought it had enough of a mystery and enough comedy to keep me going to the end. And, you know, if they come around with the season two, I'd probably watch it. I really want to be thumbs up on this. I'm thumbs up on like a third of it. And I am thumbs down on like a quarter of it. And I am thumbs sideways in the rest of it. The parts I liked, I really, really, really loved. But I can't give a huge thumbs up to the whole thing because I don't think the whole thing is great. I think it's just okay. I think it could have been great. I love Kristen Bell. I love the parts with the cops. I love the parts with the, not going to say, but the parts that are good are really freaking good. When I say don't watch it, no, I would just say measure your expectations and watch it going in. So thumbs sideways for me, for the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of, crime the, week. of the week. This time suggested to us by my friend and colleague, Sarah Plord. The mayor of an Ohio city is worried about a different kind of, quote, hookup 
in ice fishing shanties. At a city council meeting, Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert expressed his concern that allowing local ice fishing huts would lead to prostitution. Mm -hmm. He literally (laughs) said that at a meeting. He literally said that. First, ice fishing huts, then prostitution. No connective tissue. Ice fishing huts, prostitution. Well, he calls them shanties, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not the first time Schubert has made questionable comments. Last fall, he falsely accused school board members of allowing child pornography in classrooms. That statement led to numerous physical threats against elected officials. Now, we're not sure what bait the mayor is using. Master bait. But the idea that a frozen lake would be the next red light district struck many people as ridiculous. Perhaps he misunderstood what residents meant when they said they were going to fishing shanties to do some, quote, hooking or to, quote, drill a hole in the ice. The ice? (laughs) (laughs) Drilling a hole in something. (laughs) Panel. Right in my ice. (laughs) Panel. We know ice fishermen are up to no good. What's really going on in those shanties? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, I might take a poll here. Amongst the four of us, I am the one who has been in an ice shanty within Ah. the last few years. And in fact, I saw one of my ice fishing pals from around town just yesterday. You know what's going on in those shanties? They're drinking shitty beer, Mm, (laughs) farting, and eating hot dogs. Yeah, That's what's happening in the ice shanties. No prostitution, Laura? Um, No. (laughs) Toby Ball, what do you think is really going on in those ice shanties? It's it's sex work, Rebecca, first of all. Um, <laughs> True. It's mostly just like macrame and needlepoint and stuff, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> macrame is coming back, Tobes. Kevin, what do you think is really gone, going on in those ice shanties? Uh, fishing, you dickhead. <laughs> fishing. You don't think they're singing sea shanties in those ice shanties? No, no, no. You know why he's uh, afraid of uh, legalized prostitution? Why? It might lead to dancing. <laughs> 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 All right, we should probably end it on that note, but before we do, Lar Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and solicit some photos of you in an ice shanty, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lar Bricker, and they can even if they go on the interwebs, find a little video that was on our public access TV station last year when I went out to the ice shanties. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and invite you to their ice shanties to perhaps go cold weather fishing with them. How can they find you on Twitter? Or macrame uh, at <laughs> Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn, if you want to craft with you, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, but that doesn't matter. Join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show, married with podcast, Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer and president of this program is Kevin Flynn. At ease. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega across the street from the girl in the window in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we keep all of our glasses big enough to hold a whole bottle of wine. Glug, glug, glug. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. 
I am thumb sideways on the woman across the fucking house. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Crime, crime Media. media.